it was unexpected by most, anticipated by some, promised by one, given for all. I'm talking about hope. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. My name is Brian. I'm on staff here at Highland Park and uh, just really excited to to launch into uh, our Christmas series uh, during this time of year with you and beginning today with this one word, hope. But if we're going to talk about hope, we also have to acknowledge another word, hopelessness. I heard a story that has helped me understand better uh, individuals and families and entire communities that feel a sense of hopelessness. Imagine that this was a college classroom and I was your professor and you all sat in a room that was this large. And I, I walked in and I put a bucket right here beside me. And I said, okay, first day of class, welcome to class. Everyone, get out a piece of paper and a pen and write your name on that piece of paper. And now crumple it up, and I want you to throw it and try to make it into the bucket. And it's going to be a really simple grading system. I'm going to take the bucket to my office. I'm going to empty it out. And if I see a piece of paper with your name in it, you get an A. If I don't, you get an F. So everybody, you know, looks at this and crumples up their paper, and they begin shooting towards the bucket. And people on the front row, a lot of them make it. Uh, I mean, pretty high number, 70, 80% of them are making, making it in because they're so close. People in the middle sections, I mean, it, the percentages drop quite a bit. 40, 50% of them are making it. People at the back, they give it their best shot. They throw it, but most of them aren't even getting close to the bucket. It's falling well short. And so people, uh, you, you all go home and you're very confused uh, after that first day of class and come back the second day, and as you walk in the door, I'm greeting you saying, There is a seating assignment, and you will sit exactly where you sat yesterday. Go to the same chairs. And everybody files in, goes to the same chairs, and I say, we're going to do the same thing we did yesterday. I put the bucket down. Again, everybody writes the name on the paper, crumples it up, throws it towards the bucket. And by the second night, uh, students uh, in their dorm room are crumpling up paper and practicing the people in the front sections are feeling pretty good about themselves. The people in the middle sections are practicing really hard. And the people in the back row are trying to figure out how they can crumple it up hard enough to even make it to the bucket. Third day, fourth day, fifth day, week after week goes by. And as time goes by, the people at the front have gotten pretty good. And people in the middle, some of them have gotten have done all right, but lots of them still have not done all that great. And still nobody in the back row has made it, not even one shot. And so as the weeks go by something begins to happen to the students in the back row. Some of them don't even write their name on the paper and crumple it up anymore. They come to class, they hear the assignment, and they get up and leave, knowing they've already flunked. Some of them just quit coming to class, so it's an automatic F, because they know it's completely, what? Hopeless. Ever see a community, and it just seems like it's just... uh, just ridden with uh, trash and litter and brokenness and violence and drugs, I guarantee you, you'll always find one thing in those communities, hopelessness. What has happened in that community? Think of the family, the same thing. Think of the individual. Why does the person who goes a little bit in debt financially 
so often become a lot in debt. Hopelessness. What is a person who gains a few pounds and is really uh, distraught by it? So often gain many more pounds after that? Hopelessness. And it can, uh, it can just savage so much of our lives and our communities and in our families. Hopelessness does terrible things to us. But on the flip side, if you have just a glimmer of hope, you can hang on. Some of you ladies who have given birth know that the one thing that can kind of get you through all of the pain and discomfort of nine months is that hope holding that baby child. Connor and Allie just had their little baby girl a couple weeks ago. And our our friends Taylor and Ashley Drake, you may have seen Taylor up here. He did the C.S. Lewis monologue a few weeks ago. They actually gave birth to a little girl just an hour or two ago. And it was a very difficult pregnancy for quite a while. But what is it that sustains people through those really difficult times? Hope. Hope is a beautiful thing. And if we don't have it, we are in deep, deep trouble. Not only as people, but also all the people around our lives. So let's pray. God, we... We pray that you would fill us with hope today. And so often our hope is stolen from us. We do foolish things or maybe we suffer and we're not prepared for it. or Maybe life throws us a curve and our hope has been rooted in something else and our hope ends up stolen. So God, teach us about the hope that we have in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're hopeless... You'll also probably be joyless and loveless and faithless. But if you're hopeful, to be joyful and loving and faithful. And we want to study the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, this morning, especially as it relates to the hope that she had in Christ. In today's sermon, we're just going to kind of walk through four stages of hope. The first is hope fading. The second is hope being born. And then hope rising. And finally, hope perfecting. The story of Mary begins in Luke 1, but the story of Mary really begins long before Luke 1. Because to understand stage 1 of hope fading, we have to understand her whole community. The Jewish community, for many of them, hope had been fading for a long time. Because they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they they no longer controlled and and had freedom to do what they wanted to do and worship how they often wanted to worship. And there had even uh, been murders. There was lots of poverty. Historians uh, say kind of different things. But I've read on the very steep end of things that uh, the Jewish people may have been taxed up to 80% of their income. So some of them were, were literally being taxed to death. Think about how hard you would still be fishing if you knew that 8 out of 10 fish went to somebody else. Hopelessness would begin to set in. Uh, and that had happened to the whole community, so many of them. <clears throat> so hope had been fading. And for some of you, if you were writing an autobiography, you might title the chapter that you're in right now as Hope Fading. Some of you can identify with those words. But this sermon, I believe it provides a pretty smooth transition from the the study of Job that Dave concluded for us just last week. Because in the book of Job, that word hope shows up 18 times, but not very many of them are good. It's, I don't have any hope. I, I need some hope, and suffering can do that for us. 
But when we don't have a purpose, or when we feel really lonely or suffering sets in, it's so easy for hope to fade. And we have to understand that while uh, we've done kind of a fun thing with, you know, Beware the Grinch, and we like to watch the Grinch movies, and we've kind of made him into a lovable villain in some ways. But the real enemy, John 10.10 says, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's very much what Satan wants in your life. He wants to steal your hope and to ruin your life. So what do you hope for? You see, if you hope for the wrong things, it actually doesn't matter whether you ever get them or not. As far as Satan is concerned, if you hope for money, he probably doesn't care if you get it or not. As long as you're hoping for the wrong things, he's winning in your life. And so actually our hope fades and dies anytime we're even hoping in the wrong thing. If, if your hope is to have a, a relationship that you don't have now, or your hope is in uh, some other person in your life, the truth is that Satan probably doesn't care all that much if you get that hope fulfilled or not. Because as long as our hope is in things other than Christ, Satan has won in our life, and hope will end up fading. But... Thankfully, the story takes a turn, a drastic turn, and that's where we come to our text. So let's read Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary was pledged to be married. And uh, in biblical times here, to be pledged to be married was a little bit more than our time of just being engaged. She was actually contractually obliged to get married. So it's think about our engagement, but with some of the legal documents already signed. The only difference was they still were not fully married in that They were not living together yet, and uh, they had not gone through the ceremony yet. Those times would come, and that would uh, consummate their marriage. But they were in this time where it was pretty much a done deal that they were going to be married, and she was committed to Joseph. And so, like anybody, when an angel appears, you're terrified. And Mary was terrified. In fact, her relative, Zachariah, was terrified just a few paragraphs earlier. But the the verb for Mary is actually a stronger form of terrified than Zachariah. And I'm thinking that maybe it's just because she was younger. 
Maybe Zachariah was older and crustier and been around the block a few more times and he wasn't quite as scared. But maybe it's because Mary was already thinking, her, and her mind was racing about how much she had to lose in the whole thing. But she's terrified when she sees the angel and she says, how in the world can this be? Because I took science class, you know. My mom had that talk with me and it was really awkward. So I know how the whole thing works, okay? And I know that there's no way I can be pregnant. So what's going on here? And the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the Most High overshadow you. We believe this to be true. We believe that this teaching is really important to the whole gospel narrative that God's Son came to earth. That word, the Most High, if you read uh, the rest of the book of Luke, and if you also read the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, you'll read that term for God used several times. John the Baptist would be called prophet of the Most High. In chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, love your enemies and repay evil with good, and you'll be called children of the Most High. A demon-possessed man called Jesus, son of the Most High, and in Acts, a fortune teller calls Paul and Silas servants of the Most High. When, when you just say those, say that name, Most High, it, it says something, doesn't it? Of the one who's in control, of the one who has authority, the one whom I should completely respect. It's a position of authority. Mary is troubled by all of this. And when we're troubled... It could lead to our hope fading. And if our hope fades long enough, our hope eventually dies. But Mary did an amazing thing. She trusted. When the angel said, don't be afraid. Don't, don't let your hope be stolen. D- don't worry. See, in the, in the movies, I mean, how many times has there been a movie where somebody said, uh, it's our only hope? Or, I am your only hope. Or, he or she is our only hope. It's a great movie line. But in the Gospels, the line is, Jesus is our only hope. There's no other hope for you, Mary, or for Joseph, or for the Jewish people, or for the entire world. Don't let your hope be stolen. And when Jesus is born, hope is born. And that's this beautiful stage of hope. And some, some of you can go back in your own stories and you can pinpoint the moment in time in which you went from hope fading to hope being born. That time when you first heard that God loved you. Think about what that means for people still today. And I think sometimes when we get older, uh, we forget, maybe if we've known God for a long time, we become so used to God loving us that we forget what powerful words those are. One of the things I love about Highland Park is how we have this commitment to make sure that every child who walks in these doors or every child that we have opportunity to get to know, we want those children to know, regardless of what they've grown up thinking of, maybe maybe all I hear about is all the things I do wrong. Maybe all I hear about is I don't make grades quite good enough. And maybe my clothes aren't as nice as the other kids at school. Or I'm not as good at sports as them. Or I'm not as good as this or that. And we begin to build this whole identity. But that whole identity can be just shredded with the light of the gospel that says, God loves you and hope is born. That God cares for us. I pray that hope has been born in you. But in Mary's life, hope doesn't stay at that stage where it's just born. But the next 
stage would be hope rising. You see, after giving birth, uh, Luke adds this powerful note, this little side uh, narrative, uh, this little comment, parenthetical comment almost. See, Mary has already given birth, miraculous giving of birth in this lowly place, and Joseph has amazingly stayed with her instead of leaving her or thinking that she had cheated on him. And we're going to talk more about Joseph next week. And uh, there was these angels, and then there were these uh, uh, shepherds, people who showed up to worship her son. All of these amazing things have happened to her. And then Luke adds this beautiful little comment in Luke 2.19. Can you just say this with me? Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. What a beautiful phrase. I hope that this Christmas season, you will, in the midst of Christmas parties and working like crazy so you can take a week of vacation or whatever it might look like for you, I hope that you will take some time to ponder these things in your heart. And not just during the Christmas season. I think that this verse says a lot about the woman Mary was and would become, that she would be faithful and hopeful her entire life. Three decades later, Mary was with Jesus at a wedding, and the the wedding host were in a bind, and we're going to talk more about this in a couple months, but they were in a bind, and they needed a miracle, and Mary said, go to Jesus, and then she says these words, do whatever he tells you. In other words, Go to Jesus, he'll take care of you. That sounds like somebody who is hopeful, whose hope has been growing and growing and growing. Mary raised the hopes of others in that moment. She contributed to the hope rising. And as I was thinking about hope rising, I thought that's really, we could kind of take that and form a simple definition of the word encouragement. What if we just defined encouragement this way? Encouragement is raising someone's level of hope. Uh, imagine that that uh, we all are just uh, like jars and somebody could go in and just pour hope into us and and just try to fill us up. And in your life, I hope you have some people around you who are full of hope because you need them to give you hope. But I also I pray that you don't run away from the people who have no hope. Oh, those people, we want to run away from them because we know it might empty us out a little bit and we know it might be difficult and it might be messy. But look at the Gospels and where did Jesus consistently go? If you want to be like Jesus, find some people who are hopeless and you pour some of the hope of Christ into them. And I understand that there will be times where you feel depleted and you feel empty and you're going to need to get away and have your hope levels filled back up but then you will always have fresh water. And God does a wonderful thing in us when we pour hope into other people. And I just want to challenge you even today and this week, how can you raise the level of someone else's hope? Maybe someone's here and you could raise it to here. Maybe someone's here. And all you can do is raise it to here. But do something to help raise the level of hope in other people. We have that responsibility. Heidi Wallace is a new member at Highland Park, and uh, some of you have really enjoyed getting to know her. And she wrote something that I have permission to share with you, and I just want to read her words that she shared. Today I had the joy of making a warm meal to take to the homeless man across the street. 
I was reluctant when I had the idea. I was anxious as I made it. I was nervous as I walked across the street and parking lot to deliver it. But seeing the look in his eye when I said, Sir, I wanted to make this for you. Was confirmation that getting out of my comfort zone was exactly what he needed. Getting out of our comfort zones can change someone's afternoon. Sometimes green beans and mac and cheese are more than just food. The Lord is using living downtown Tulsa to break my heart and show me practical ways to show his daily love. I want to challenge you today to find a way to show someone love and kindness. You might be surprised how much it blesses you. Hashtag HP loves. I love that story, Heidi. And I love when God prompts us to do something and we are obedient. And when God prompts us to do something, he does not say, you won't be nervous at all. Or he won't say, you'll know exactly how to do this. There will be no questions. No, he just says, go do this. And so we go and we may stumble along a little bit and we may be kind of nervous about it. But that makes us pray, which is good. And it helps us learn to get out of our comfort zones and just to care for people. I know one thing, that that man, I don't know his name, I don't think I've ever met him, but his level of hope grew just a little bit that day. And I love that. But that's not the last stage, even of hope. Our our, our hope can be fading, but then hope can be born, and then it rises. But one day, uh, and even... Partly now we see hope perfecting because hope should not just stay where it is. None of us have arrived quite yet, have we? We keep growing and growing and growing and we have to because our hope can take a hit sometimes. And in the darkest moment in history, Mary was there. Mary was on that hill with three crosses, three bodies, one of them her son, suffering like no man had suffered, dying and dead. Mary was there. Mary was there when they took his lifeless, beaten body and placed it in that tomb. She probably waited outside as they rolled that stone in front of it. But Mary was also there when her and the lady showed up and they can't figure out what's happened. Something's been disturbed. And why is the tomb empty? Has somebody taken the body away? And they run and they tell the disciples and the disciples think the women are crazy so they have to go check it out for themselves because they're too stupid to believe anybody else. But everybody's confused and things are chaotic and somewhere in all of that, hope begins to rise again and then they see Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. Hope has risen from the dead. And hope is there. And they believe. And all the things that he had told them come back and they make sense like they had never made sense before. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the account of Jesus' life, the word hope doesn't show up very often. You know why, I think? Because that is hope. You could just write hope all over those four books. But if we look at the Old Testament written before the Gospels, you have all of this talk of hope. And it's all pointing to something yet to come. It's all pointing to the gospel story, the day that Jesus would be born and change everything. And if we look at the rest of the New Testament uh, and the letters to the churches and after Jesus had lived and uh, died, risen from the dead, and then ascended to heaven, 
all of the writing and the speaking about hope, uh, which picks back up again throughout the New Testament, is saying, remember that we have hope in this. We have hope in Christ. Christ is our hope. Oh, and also, we have hope that he's coming again. And suddenly the arrows are pointed in two directions. Remember what Jesus has done so we have hope in him. And remember that he not only came once, but he's going to come again. And things are going to get even better. And that means that for all of God's children, all people who have said, I will follow you, it means that hope will be truly one day perfected. Yes, our hope can grow and grow and grow, but one day it will be perfected. When Jesus comes that second time, and when we see with our eyes that, yes, everything he said was true, and it's even more beautiful than we could have imagined, and for all of those uh, who are in heaven now, who have gone before us, and yet have still been waiting for this day, I don't understand how all of time works, but those left here, when Jesus comes back, uh, will be joined and there will be a judgment. And for all who Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, they will be given a new heaven, a new earth, where we will live with no more fear and no more pain and crying and depression and loneliness, no more hopelessness at last. And then hope will truly be perfected. And Revelation says there will be a worship service with every tribe, tongue, and nation. I don't know how John knew that every tribe, tongue, and nation was there other than maybe people still got to wear what they normally would have worn. Maybe the color of their skin. Maybe how the languages were. I'm not sure. But all of the earth, all of the followers of Christ from long before to up right up until the time Jesus came back are all gathered together and hope will be perfected. And that day is coming. Romans 5 says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts, uh, our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We continue to grow in our hope as we grow in Christ, but we wait for the day when our hope will be perfected. Tom Lawson wrote this. He said, without hope, there seems little reason to get out of bed in the morning. Without hope, we may be alive, but we are certainly not experiencing life. And hope must be more than wishful thinking. It is more like the confidence that promises made will be promises kept because the promise maker, he is truthful. We journey from the image of a frightened and ashamed woman hiding from God in the Garden of Eden to the coming of another young girl born in the obscure little hamlet of Nazareth in the kingdom of Herod. In this truer than true history, glorious hope will grow out of the barren soil of conquest, oppression, corruption, poverty, and evil, emerging, as one prophet put it, like a beautiful green plant growing unexpectedly out of a political, economical, and spiritual wasteland. Hope is like that. Unexpected by most, anticipated by some, promised by one, given for all.
in Acts 16, uh, Paul and Silas uh, are there and this miracle has been done, but there's this little statement that says, uh, when uh, these other people, these non-believers were upset with Paul and Silas, they were upset because they realized that their hope of making money was gone. The hope of making money. And it just leads me to ask you, where do you put your hope? Is it in making money? Is it is, is all of your hope based in your family structure or in a relationship or a friendship? Because the gospel message is your hope will never be satisfied unless your hope is in Christ, period. And that's it. Because everything else will let us down in this life and we'll be left feeling hopeless. But Christ gives us something beautiful and good, and that is for all people. First Peter, I want to close with this. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you are here today without the hope that Christ offers, we want to extend that invitation to you. We, we pray and ask you to consider to find the only hope that's really worth hanging on to, to, to grasp the hope of someone who can always be trusted in Christ Jesus. Hang on to the hope of the person of God who died for you. Hang on to the hope of Jesus. And if you do that, your hope can never, ever, regardless of your situations, ever, ever be stolen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a hope that cannot be stolen, taken, killed. There's so much hope in this world that takes a beating. So much hope uh, that ends up being just foolishness. God, we pray that you would fill us with your hope and that we would in turn fill other people with the hope that we have, and not of finances, not of family, not of a friendship, but of the hope we, we have first and foremost from you, knowing that everything else in life is a great blessing that you give through your son. And God, I pray for anybody who would like prayer or who would like to even step and say, I'm ready to receive Christ because I need the hope. I don't have hope in anything else. And we pray for that person as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.